Welcome to Economic Insights, where we sit down with some of the top city building and industry experts to unpack the latest business insights and opportunities affecting fast-growing cities like the City of Surrey in British Columbia, Canada. My name is Stephen Wu, the Manager of Economic Development with the City of Surrey. And today we have the privilege of sitting down with one of the world's premier electric motorcycle companies to discuss their vision for revolutionizing the future of mobility and what it will take to get there. I'd like to welcome Dom. He's the co-founder and COO of Damon Motors. And so thank you, Dom, for joining us today. Stephen, thank you so much for thinking about me and thinking about Damon. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, well, I think we met like, what was it, just over a little bit, over eight, nine months ago, and you yep. guys came to us and you guys were saying, hey, you know, we want to build this plant in the city of Surrey. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was kind of, you know, to be honest, I was a little bit skeptical because what you guys were telling me was something quite revolutionary. You don't have a lot of companies building electric vehicles in Canada, let alone in British Columbia. So can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to do that here in West Coast Canada? Absolutely. No, that's an excellent question and also an excellent point. Well, first of all, Damon was born on the West Coast. My business partner, Jay, and I, we are proudly Canadian. I'm born and raised in East Vancouver. And so when we founded the company, we were very proud to be, quite frankly, Canadian made. And so when it came to manufacturing, of course, you know, we can consider factories around the world that I have extensive experience dealing with, we know, both in China and U.S. and also in Mexico as well. But for Damon, we are a new brand and to establish our brand is utmost important. And so controlling quality is job number one for us. And so to have this manufacturing plant literally in our backyard is crucial. It's crucial to our success because not only can I control the performance and the quality of the factory, but I can also have my design team within an earshot of the factory, which is really important in order to make the smoothest transition from design to manufacturing. Fantastic. And we all know right now, even if you wanted to buy an electric vehicle or or anything with a wheel on it, it's very, very difficult because there's just so many supply chain challenges, first because of COVID and now because of this war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. How is that affecting your business right now? Well, it, I mean, it, it affects all of us. It basically as a new brand, as I mentioned before, our position and our stature is not as established as some of the larger companies. And so it's really about us being in the queue. The supply chain issues, basically supply chain now wants to guarantee orders. And so POs have to be issued and and we're we're, we're competing as best we can. I mean, I have, you know, luckily at Damon, my vice president of supply chain, he was the early member at Dell. He actually established you know, Dell supply chain when it first started. And so there's a lot of strategy that he has employed to help us along the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're all affected by, you know, being able to not only secure orders, but also just getting in line to get these suppliers to even hear us out has been a monumental task. But I would say that, um, you know, the public support, our customers purchasing our motorcycles and growing our order book has been tremendous in helping us establish a foothold with uh, with these suppliers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that when you kind of did your announcement here in Surrey, you know, yeah. I was very shocked with the number of POs you had. Can you yeah. kind of give us an update on that? Yeah. Currently, we have an order book that is uh, growing every day, and it has a book value currently of just over 2,000 vehicles, which is about over $50 million in book value. And that is tremendous. We've been building this order book since we uh, launched the vehicle back at CES 2020. We are going to ship later this year. 
And the team is working extremely hard to make that reality. I mean, our engineering team is working very diligently. I mean, they're, they, they have so much to do. And then, of course, you know, my job as the COO, I am trying to prepare the support mechanism from them for them, as well as the building, the manufacturing uh, teams, right? So yes, we have the building in Surrey that's being built as we speak, but all the infrastructure and support that needs to go into the building, we're establishing that as we speak. So if I put down my deposit today, when can I expect to get my bike? Oh, I, I would say uh, you put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> because we all want one. You know that everyone who's going to be listening to this will course, order one. Of course, and, and, and we don't want to disappoint, right? I would say that we are endeavoring to, to have our shipments in Q4 of this year. Fantastic. But uh, really, the, the factory will, will be spinning at capacity Q1 of next year. So there's so many people on our, our waiting list. I can't promise anything, but again, we're working really hard. Well, that's actually still better because this weekend, my fiance and I, we were out shopping for an EV and we were looking at one of these German brands that has the rebate. And they were telling us, even if we had a car to trade in because their lots are empty, it would take us at least 12 to 18 months. So what you're telling me is actually way better than what a lot of these established brands are doing. Yeah. Potentially, right? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think we're, we're going to end up fall, like, I think, yeah, I think all of us are kind of in the same boat, quite frankly, you know, to be endeavored within 12 months is something we're striving towards. 18 months is likely, again, no promises, but time frame for us is within the next 12 to 18 months as we start shipping to when we get into full capacity at our factory, and then we could fulfill the orders sooner. And I guess we talked a little bit and we started off this conversation about supply chain. And I guess there's two parts of this. You talked a little bit about the talent that you need in order to kind of ensure quality. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the interesting things about your company that I really haven't seen with a lot of companies that have actually come and said, hey, we want to set up shop in Surrey in the lower mainland is there's a lot of other companies within the ecosystem and supply chain who've actually reached out to me and said, hey, can you reach out to Dom and see how we can actually be part of their supply chain? So we had Mm -hmm. some CNC metal machine shops who were doing precision work for other people. What advice do you have for them if they want to kind of get connected with you guys? And what are you guys looking for from supply chain partners? Excellent question. And it's like a kind of a general open-ended answer. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's a bit of everything. And to be fair to the local supply chain, our needs are both short-term and short, mid and long-term all rolled in one. Short-term, yes. I mean, we could use the local supply chain to deal with small prototype quantities where you to support our development where we need to build fixtures or build a part that may be taking a bit too long from an overseas vendor. Midterm, I think midterm is mostly, you know, hovered around the factory. Like any of the fixturing that I want at the plant, I'm going to find a local vendor versus going overseas, for example. But on the vehicle side, on the product side, we are establishing our supply chain with our long-term vendors, right? And so to be cost competitive, And also to deal with suppliers at scale. Unfortunately, most of those suppliers are overseas, whether they're in Asia or Europe or other. It's just the way that those supply chains have established themselves. So we go and seek suppliers that have a history, a long history in automotive, because that's something very, very new, especially in BC. There aren't any auto manufacturers. Maybe maybe step one, there's another electric three-wheeler, but their manufacturing plant is actually in the States and in China, right? Again, I'm ignorant. I don't think there's another auto factory here in Canada, at least on the West Coast. So we're amongst many of the firsts. And with that being said, I can extend that to the supply chain as well. It's a lot of firsts, right? And so 
you know, while we want to support the local economy, and we will, there are still specific needs for long-term production that, unfortunately, the local supply base can't provide. Well, at the rate that you're growing, I don't anticipate that there won't be a shortage of interest for a lot of these overseas companies who might want to actually build their supply chain around you. And that's actually what we see in Detroit and all these other kind of places where there is a large automotive sector. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're building like just just to go back to a previous question is like, why would you build a manufacturing plant, you know, in, in B.C. of all places in Canada? You know what? Canada is pretty good from an economic and trade partner for the world. We currently don't have any any issues with overseas, whether it be Europe or China. And so we have a unique advantage here. And the talent pool here in BC is growing every day. And so keeping quality as a number one priority is one thing, but there are suppliers that are now setting up shop here in BC. I can't get into the details, but uh, there's one of them that is quite large that is building a factory as well. It's incredible to have them so close to us. Fantastic. And you, you mentioned talent, and I guess that's the other like significant input and probably one of the key drivers. You yourself you know, have a pretty illustrious career kind of starting and, and kind of growing your, your career here in British Columbia. And I know that um, a few months ago, you had a chance to visit SFU Surrey and met with some of their mechatronics engineering graduates and students and faculty. Are you going to hire all of them? <laughs> <laughs> if they're qualified, yeah course. Personally, it has been my objective, especially, you know, after, well, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. I feel strongly that I want to give back to the community that's given me so much and uh, especially the local tech scene. Yeah. Talking to SFU or UBC or any other other colleges, university, BCIT, where I'm from, we want to establish really good programs that help bridge academia with industry. And so, you know, if I can tailor programs that allow me to, quite frankly, pull the best talent right from when they graduate and insert them into Damon. And so, you know, they hit the ground running. Like it's almost as if they were by extension working at Damon while they're studying. That's ideal. I mean, I think industry itself has to kind of get on this bandwagon of building really sophisticated programs where the investment is not just consulting, if you will, but, you know, to actually put some collaboration dollars behind it and go, no, I'm, I'm building a training program. I'm building a specific Damon training program, whether it be in operations, engineering, marketing, or business development, it doesn't matter. I mean, we would like to hire locally than, than abroad, but the reason why we have to import talent is because the talent is not here. Like it's not a focus in BC to build, for example, battery engineers or, 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 or you know, electric drivetrain people because the, there's simply the need or the demand isn't here until we came around. So I guess when you kind of just elaborating a little bit on that. So right now, if you were going to take a look at the talent pipeline and what programs there are here in British Columbia, what would you say are, are our strengths? And the other thing is when you kind of take a look at it, what programs do you think we should develop where there is going to be opportunity for Damon and this broader you know, EV ecosystem here in British Columbia and Canada? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, there are definitely, there are a few programs. Every university has, of course, their electrical programs and mechanical programs, mechatronic, various uh, um, engineering physics. Those are great base programs. 
but there aren't really programs that are more specific to say the individual functions or needs that I have at Damon. For example, power electronics. What does that mean? Working on say battery management systems for large lithium ion powered systems, for example, and then chargers and, and inverter technology to drive electric motors to do that energy conversion. Those programs are not as prevalent. And so I'd like to focus on those as well as the, the one thing that Damon has been always been built on, the foundation of safety, um, making riders safer. There, there are no programs I can tell you that for a fact. Mm-hmm. If uh, and, and these systems are built on automotive um, called ADAS, right? So it's Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. You'll find them in Detroit, but you won't find them here. And so I'd like to uh, you know spend some time to focus on on that portion of it because again, that's a, that's a big need for 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 Damon um, um, in the years moving forward. So are you actually going out to Detroit and some of these other areas to attract some of this talent up yeah. here to British Columbia? Yeah. You are? Yeah, they are. Where we're importing from, Silicon Valley. So, you know, California, Northern California, East Coast of the U.S. for sure. Detroit being one of them. And also Europe has a large segment in automotive as well. So these are roles that are quite specific to electric vehicles and ADAS, as I mentioned before. So great thing I can find in Vancouver, there is a big software pool of talent. However, the specific experience that we're looking for in auto, it just isn't here. So we can definitely spend some time training, but with Damon, we do have some additional software products that you won't find on other vehicles being a mobile app. And a mobile app is not just, you know, an app you find on your phone to be able to, I don't know, get certain vehicle data, but it's more of an information hub that you can buy directional communication to the vehicle. And of course, you know, the infrastructure in the cloud is a big one too, right? So we can definitely find a lot of mobile, we can find a lot of cloud infrastructure because, you know, in those two realms, I could say that those two disciplines are at its infancy in automotive. So at this point, there's no established network, if you will, of automotive talent that focuses on cloud and mobile. You would sooner find those disciplines in consumer electronics or any other industry other than auto, which, again, it gives us a great advantage to be able to do just that. Right? We are not just a motorcycle company. It's definitely an ecosystem about riding the experience that we're trying to build. So I guess out of your staff right now is part of the training that you get everyone a motorcycle license? Yes. So yes. Yes, absolutely. I know. I mean, Damon, from day one, we made a commitment that motorcyclists develop motorcycle technology, period. So we pay for everyone's training. So even if you were a motorcyclist already, or you are a motorcyclist already, we'll pay for an advanced rider course. You can wow. always be better. So yes, we every single employee, every single staff that comes in, you know, through Damon's doors will be motorcyclists if they're not motorcyclists already. Yeah, because I guess, you know, that's the one thing is, is if you don't know your product, how are you going to develop it better? And I think that's a great way. And talk about employee perks, right? You know, other people have like beer in the fridge, but what better thing to do is, is to kind of have a ability to learn how to kind of ride something so fun, like a Damon motorcycle. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. In order to know your product, you need to wear your customer's shoes and their hat and their clothes and everything else in between. Because if you don't, then how do you know what you're building makes sense or works, right? I mean, it's completely subjective. I mean, you could argue that, hey, a product manager will define 
what these features are. Yeah, it's a starting point. At the end of the day, you know, it's implementation from engineering and it's going to be largely depending on the own personal experiences, how, how this thing should work. And I think this also kind of breaks a bit of a perception because I guess, you know, I'm not a rider myself, but speaking with you, you've ridden for quite a number of years. And I bet the first motorcycle and then the second and even to today, what you think of when you think of a motorcycle is something that is loud, powerful engines and the ability to rip down a highway forever and ever and ever. (laughs) But when you are building this new motorcycle and knowing electric vehicles and knowing Damon motorcycle, it's going to be much more quiet. And I know, you know, in speaking to you, it's a different experience. Can you talk a little bit about that and what's actually different? And, you know, I think you talked about the need to kind of actually add in some artificial noise for safety and, and whatnot as well. Yeah. Okay. The motorcycle, it definitely makes noise. It's not like your traditional ICE or internal combustion engine. That's the acronym where you have basically air pushing through an exhaust pipe and making sound that way. It's a chain driven system. So you will hear the chain drive as it spins up. It's almost like a jet turbine engine. As it spins faster and faster, the pitch becomes much sharper or the frequency becomes higher. And so really what it comes down to is at low speed, you know, as it moves, it's it's almost virtually silent. Now, I think a lot of motorcyclists are, are just used to the fact that, you know, they can hear the exhaust. They know that uh, at a certain certain RPM that they can change gears, right? And this motorcycle, I mean, at the end of the day, they're motorcycles, right? So an EV, as far as driving it, yes, it is a different experience. It's in, in some ways, to me, it's a freeing experience because the biggest advantage I feel that EV has is that it has instantaneous torque, which means that when you turn the throttle, there is just this acceleration it just pulls and you don't have to wait for the engine to spin up to feel that pull. It's available to you immediately. And, and so how does that how does that translate to a rider? Well, you know, if you're passing a car on the highway, you have lots of call it oomph, if you will, that can make that maneuver fairly easily and then therefore safe at the same time. The torque is delivered and it's so smooth that when you're riding really slow, the great thing about an electric when you're riding low speed, there's nothing to stall the engine per se. There's not, I mean, we have a motor, not so much an engine, but, you know, riding a uh, internal combustion engine at low speed, you're feathering the clutch while trying to gently apply the gas and you're trying to balance on this thing all at the same time. And then as a rider, you're trying to like observe the world. So there's a, there's a lot going on here, a lot going on here. I mean, sometimes you feel like you're one of the acts from Cirque du Soleil. That's how many things are you're juggling wow. at once here, right? Whereas imagine if you're electric, well, if you're juggling four things, like I mentioned before, like the clutch, the throttle, balance, and observing the world, that gets cut down by half. You worry about the throttle and you worry about the world around you. Of course, there's the balance aspect of it, but being able to focus or at least allow yourself the freedom for, for you know, focusing more on your surroundings is, is absolutely huge. So I would say this to those that are skeptical, you have to try it. Yep. You have to try it. You have to try it and kind of like be open to, to the new experience. I don't want to say that you have to let go of the past, but you have to understand that an internal combustion engine, that motorcycle does certain things really well over in this column and electric does certain things well on the other column. And at the end of the day, they're still motorcycles, mm-hmm. right? There's still two wheels. You still have a lot of fun and they're different, but the same. Well, as I mentioned, you know, you are standing a new standard. And I think people who've never ridden a motorcycle where Damon's motorcycle will be their first, 
this is what the reference point will be. And that's actually quite exciting to be on the forefront and being able to inspire a new generation of riders in that very way. So yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry, sorry. It's, it's daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, daunting <laughs> but exciting and, and thrilling at the same time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Of course, of course. I mean, daunting. It's me reminding myself that we have a great responsibility, not only as a company, but obviously, you know, our, our responsibility is to our customers and then largely our responsibility is to the industry. You know, we are we are revolutionizing an industry. We want to be the future. We, you know, we, we are the future of motorcycles. And, and in order to make those bold claims, we have to do things that are, are different, but not different just because different for a purpose. Right. And that wears on me. That is a burden that we all place on our shoulders and we're really happy to do it. I mean, luckily for us, that burden is carried by all motorcyclists around the world. So it's not that hard. It's not that hard. I mean, it's inspiring. Absolutely. It's inspiring. I mean, look, you're not on a motorcycle yet, Stephen, but you're going to get me there. <laughs> I'll get you on for sure. I'll get you on it. So, and, and it'll be safe too. That's another Absolutely. thing. Right? That's like, that's probably the biggest hurdle to, to cross right now is that is that safety aspect of it. Absolutely. So, you know, you guys are doing a lot of visionary things in 10 years. Where do you guys see Damon? Like, what is that dream? (laughs) Well, from a product perspective is to basically have no accidents or no deaths on a Damon motorcycle in 10 years. We want it like when we say we're the safest, smartest electric motorcycle in the world. Absolutely. That's what we want strive to become. Now, from a business point of view, we want to be able to service every corner of the globe with products that are designed and size correctly for that market. Yes, we will push the envelope as far as introducing vehicles that that does things a little different. But again, as I mentioned before, the customers would be asking, why hasn't this been done already by a previous company or on another motorcycle? And you know, my answer is they don't have the flexibility that we do from a, from a business model perspective and also from a visionary perspective as far as how our vehicles are going to perform. Not only do we have safe, smart, connected, electric, but our motorcycles are delivered as a subscription model. So it's no different than your mobile phone. You know, it's really a way of of, uh, of of stating that it's a bundle, right? So you get the, you know, cost of the vehicle plus insurance plus connectivity all rolled in one. And it's a lease model yep. at the end of the day, right? But it is right size. And I say that a lot for the customer that is driving most of our orders, which are millennials and, and Gen Z. You know, that's a, that's a huge demographic right there. Fantastic. Yeah. And I guess one final question is, is at the end of the year, how many employees will you guys have here in British Columbia? We're... Definitely going to have uh, about 160. We're going to start wow. to 200 by the end of the year. And then, of course, you know, over the next three to five years, that number will grow exponentially anywhere from 300 to 600 all the way to 800 employees. I mean, the factory itself will employ hundreds. And then, of course, Damon HQ, as we develop our engineering, all our teams they're going to grow as well. But yeah, we... <laughs> we you are growing uh, fast. <laughs> we're growing really, really fast. You know, not even two years ago, we were a handful of employees, 15, 20 employees. Today, we're, I think, just over 100 right now and growing, growing every day. So Fantastic. That's one of my best and favorite BC success stories because, as I said at the beginning of this interview, not a lot of people have the guts and the willpower to do what you guys are doing. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Dom, for chatting with us today and sharing your insights. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Economic Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please give us a rating and review and share with others. And give us a follow on LinkedIn if you haven't and catch our next episode as soon as it's released. See you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.